For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Someday, I'll get off this rock and fight the Empire. John Williams and the London Symphony Orchestra, everybody. And yes, how fitting it is to hear that song, Power from Star Wars, however, called Binary Sunset from the Family Guy show episode of Blue Harvest, but in real life it was really the Star Wars theme. And it was only fitting that we play it here tonight on episode number 57 of Wrestling Revisited. 1-724-444-7044, call ID 139926. This is the last episode of 2016. And it's kind of a bittersweet one in a way here tonight on the show. Of course, we'll be back next week to start 2017 in a way. But as we say goodbye to 2016, however, it's only fitting we played that song. Because earlier today, the news came suddenly and shockingly to all of us. And we're still in shock to even hear the news tonight. That Carrie Fisher, better known to you all as Princess Leia Organa, in the Star Wars trilogy and who has done other movies over the years, such as Under the Rainbow with Chevy Chase, Shampoo with Warren Beatty, among others, who had a heart attack last Friday on a flight from London to Los Angeles following the Star Wars Episode Eight premiere, and who was in cardiac arrest throughout the Christmas weekend, however, and who's on her way to slowly getting better and making a full recovery, or at least we thought it was going to be a full recovery, suddenly passed away in her sleep late this morning slash early this afternoon in California at the age of 60. Her mother, Debbie Reynolds, of course, is famous, of course, stating Eddie Fisher, of course, the famous singer of the 1950s. And, of course, Carrie, as we said, is, of course, one of Debbie's children, her only daughter, if you will, and who, of course, also appeared in the 1989 drama movie comedy with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine called Postcards on the Edge based on Carrie Fisher's life. It was just a few years ago we thought Carrie Fisher, however, would be heading and leaving us too soon. Now she's left us too soon, however, officially after what happened this past weekend due to her very unfortunate uh, illness that happened this past Friday. And Gerard T. Smith joins me now, the Obi-Wan Kenobi to my Luke Skywalker. Bill and Gerard, as we played that theme tonight, it has been a crazy year losing a lot of celebrities, such as David Bowie, Peter Gabriel, or excuse me, uh, George Michael, not Peter Gabriel, George Michael this past Sunday, Florence Henderson, Prince, uh, we've lost so many others this past year. It has been a wild, crazy year, and we're not done yet. But this song is only fitting that we play it in honor of Princess Leia. And it's just, I think we're still in shock after what happened when we heard the news over the weekend and then again earlier today. Gerard, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I was just asking for your thoughts about uh, 
Uh, she was a uh, an icon. Was yes. A lovely lady. Yes. Gone too soon. Yes. And to that, we dedicate this show tonight, and also to our other show coming up at nine o'clock as well, as. Uh, we will do, I'm sure, at the beginning of the show tonight, who knows, on uh, Wrestling uh, Revolution 138055-pound, we get at 9 p.m. We will have a moment of silence on our, the great Carrie Fisher, but here on Wrestling Revisit tonight, we can say goodbye, Carrie. We will miss you. Okay. Now, back to the matter at hand, even though it's going to be hard to focus here tonight, folks, here on this bittersweet night, however, uh, we are ready to do our final show of 2016 and we thank you all this past year for listening to us. It's been a great year serving you guys here in the Talk Show community. We're here each and every Tuesday, and I could not have done this show without my brother, Gerard T. Smith, along with my fellow other colleagues, Mr. WCW Chad Hinshaw, the Black Widow, Michelle Lindodds, who, of course, we were saying a special prayer for her tonight as well, after she had a very unfortunate uh, tragedy happen in her life this past weekend. And, Michelle, we just want to say from Gerard and us and John and everyone else in the radio network, we're thinking of you, we miss you. And our prayers and thoughts are with you tonight as well. Okay, Gerard has picked the moment for the final show of the year, and we're going to do that right now. And Gerard, what moment have we decided to go with tonight? Why don't we go with WrestleMania 1? It's only fitting, folks. Why not? Yes, WrestleMania 1, the one that started it all, one of my favorite WrestleManias and probably one of the greatest events of all time, the one that came two years after Starcade made its debut in the Crockett organization down there in Mr. WCW's neck of the woods, Greensboro, North Carolina. It was only fitting that two years later, the WWE, however, would start the granddaddy of the mall, however, in their own event, however, WrestleMania, of course, going into this event, it was tagged as the greatest event of all time. Of course, it definitely lived up to the hype, starting off in 1984 with the war to settle the score. Of course, as you know, in February of that year, and then prior to that, we had the brawl for it all, of course, in August of 1984. We had a lot of names and celebrities, of course, make an impact on this show. Of course, it was only also fitting that it would be held in one of the most famous arenas of the mall that just last night hosted a WWE live event there. However, the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden in New York City, New York, has over 20,000 people packed into the building. Of course, we had so many great announcers on this show, including Mean Gene Okerlund, Gorilla Monsoon, Jesse Ventura, Lord Alfred Hayes. The list goes on and on. I mean, you could not name a better event Heading into this one, however, as we begin our official, <clears throat> excuse me, our official uh, WrestleMania uh, beginning, let's just say. And with that said, now we're going to tell you about the show and the event in itself. However, as Gerard will break it down for you, X's and O's, as we tell you about each match individually and give you our thoughts. So, with that said, let's turn it over to the King himself right now, the King of WrestleMania, who has decided to pick tonight's great moment, however, and tell us what the event. Uh, started out with Gerard. The stage is all yours, my friend. All right. <clears throat> um, March thirty first, nineteen eighty five. Um, New York City, Madison Square Garden. Yes. For the WWE uh, apps uh, playgrounds, they had a lot of sh- great shows there. Yes. And our first match on the docket is Tino Santana defeated the Executioner via submissions in a single match for 
Yes, yes, and Tito San yes, and Tito Santana was a pretty good wrestler back in his time. I mean, he used to team up with Ivan Putski, the Polish power for the tag team titles. Of course, he would later go on to team with guys like Junkyard Dog. He would also have some great battles over the years in WrestleMania lore. Of course, uh, one of the of course, uh, one of the best uh, feuds he ever fought was with Greg Valentine. Of course, for the IC title, of course, Greg Valentine had taken his IC title the previous year, which we'll get into talking about throughout this uh, show here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, of course, the executioner, as you know, was uh, Playboy Buddy Rose, believe it or not. Not many people remember that name, but I kind of do. However, of course, he would later go on in the mid-'80s to form a team with Doug Summers. Pretty Boy Doug Summers calling himself uh, a very unique duo led by their uh, soon-to-be uh, manager, the late, great Sherry Martell. Of course, the executioner, of course, uh, had uh, excuse me, Buddy Rose had been in the company for a few years, of course, after coming by way of Don Owens' territory in Portland wrestling, if you will. As a result, however, uh, the executioner told everyone prior to the matchup he had gotten advice from Greg Valentine, of course, and uh, was planning to break the leg of Santana, which uh, Valentine had actually had his leg broken at one point by Valentine earlier the year before, which forced him to give up his IC title. But around this time, Santana was slowly starting to uh, get his confidence back up again and go after Valentine one more time and uh, hopefully hold the IC title. Of course, he would do so later on that summer in July of 1985 in a very physical steel cage match in Baltimore, one of the uh, most bloodiest steel cage matches I can ever recall. Not as uh, crazy as uh, Magnum T.A. and uh, Tully Blanchard's Starcade 85, mind you, which was also that same year, but uh, pretty darn close to it, if you ask me. So overall, I thought this was a pretty good opener, and I thought both of these guys performed pretty well. Uh, what were your thoughts about this one? Yeah, it was a pretty good match. Certainly, certainly. All right, up next, what do we got? King Kong Bundy with Jimmy Hart defeated Special Delivery Jones in a singles match, 24 seconds. Yes, this was a record, ladies and gentlemen. King Kong Bundy, of course, coming by way of world-class championship wrestling and, of course, the Memphis Territory at the time with Jimmy Hart. Only a few weeks prior to this, Special Delivery Jones, of course, one of those guys you saw throughout the 70s and 80s on WWE TV quite a bit as an extra, a.k.a. Jobber. He would be also on uh, a lot. This would be his only one of a few appearances he would make on pay-per-view, if you ask me. Uh, this was actually a record, and it stood a record for quite a long time, of course. Uh, SD Jones was one of those guys, as I mentioned, back in the day with other guys like Jose Luis Rivera, uh, Johnny Rods, Charlie Fulton, uh, Ivan Putski, just to name a few, Jose Luis Rivera, that was always on TV, of course, uh, during the primetime shows. And, of course, as we mentioned, Madison Square Garden was a big arena at the time. They used to host monthly shows there all the time, and it wasn't there. It was other places, too, like the Capitol Center in the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the Maple Leaf Gardens up in your neck of the woods there, Gerard in Toronto, which used to host many great events up there, Uh, Boston Garden, the Spectrum, the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh, my hometown. I mean, these were big, big events. I remember they used to come monthly or every couple months, however, but always it was always like the New York, Philadelphia, and Washington, Boston, like the four cities, however, they would always hit like almost every other couple of weeks, every couple of weeks or every month or every other month. It was like always a big event. And uh, like I said, this was a uh, pretty good match. I mean, I mean, it was amazed how bad, bad and big and strong King Kong Buddy was at the time. I mean, he was like 455. Of course, Jimmy Hart was starting to come into his own as a manager at the time. Uh, like we said, he had been uh, working down in the Memphis Territory with King Kong Buddy for a little bit, feuding against him, and of course, they would be arriving simultaneously with each other. Hart would make his debut a month before this, managing Greg the Valentine. And then, of course, a few weeks after this, he would manage King Kong Bundy. Unfortunately, Bundy would go on to be uh, traded away to Bobby the Brain. He didn't become a member of his giant family stable later on in the year, however. But around this time, 
Jimmy Hart felt that he had a strong insurance policy in the big man, and it was Bundy who always demanded a five count, not a three count, but a five count after squashing people with that dreaded, dreaded Atlantic City avalanche, if you ask me. And uh, I can remember S.D. Jones holding those ribs in pain after the matchup. I mean, he was quashed like a bug, if you ask me. And like we said, this was a very quick match and very short, however, and stood uh, as a record for quite a long time in WrestleMania history. Your thoughts about this one? Yeah, it was a very quick match, but it it sent to it sent the point out. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I would have to agree there. Okay, uh, before we get into our next match, ladies and gentlemen, to remind you, as I said, coming up tonight at nine o'clock, we will be talking about the final Raw of uh, two thousand seven. I almost said seventeen sixteen. I meant to say on Revolution. The call ID is one three eight zero five five pound. Of course, you can listen to Draw and myself give you the local news. John Gross will have your birthdays and dates in history, and then of course we'll talk about last uh, night's Raw, which was a very interesting night in Chicago, Illinois, if you will, one of the finest cities of wrestling history over the years. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we will definitely tell you our thoughts about that. Also, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget, of course, uh, tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, we will start off our triple header beginning at 6.30 p.m. with Outside the Ropes. The caller ID is 141387. It's going to be a very emotional, somewhat uh, unique tribute on uh, Outside the Ropes tomorrow night. We will talk about some of the super people, that, some of the superstars we've lost this past year. And as we mentioned, we lost two this past week in the form of uh, George Michael and, of course, Carrie Fisher just today, list a few among others. We will also talk about some of the local entertainment movie news that happened this past week, including Star Wars, which, again, despite the loss of Carrie Fisher earlier today, continues to be the number one box office movie for the second week in a row. So it took another $90 million in this week, ladies and gentlemen, and is now closing in almost on $300 million just after two weeks. So definitely a big, big sign in more ways than one. Okay, with that said, uh, let us go back now to our next match, and once again, we'll turn it over to the man behind the mic, Mr. Gerard T. Smith. Ricky Steamboat defeated Matt Morgan, or Matt Morgan, yeah, okay, Matt (laughs) Bourne. Uh, Matt Bourne was doink, wasn't he? Yeah, Matt Bourne later on became Doink. He was known as Maniac Matt Bourne. His father, Top Tony Bourne, of course, Bourne was also one of those Portland guys, like, um, uh, Buddy Rose, yeah, he came in a couple weeks prior to this. Yes, uh, he also worked in world class for a little bit, I remember, back in the time. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. And Steamboat, uh, of course, debuted uh, about two months before this uh, after coming by way of the Crockett organization after being down in the Crockett's for several years, of course, as a tag team champion with uh, Jay Youngblood, who sadly, of course, would pass away in August of 1985. Steamboat was five times tag team champion with him, of course. Youngblood sadly passed away at the age of 30. Steamboat, of course, one of his final matches in the Crockett organization was a $10,000 uh, U.S. title matchup against Tully Blanchard at Starcade 84. And then, of course, in January 1985, he showed back uh, showed up in the WWE for the first time. And, of course, he was not quite the big name just yet. It would be a few more years until he became that big name. But around this time, he started teaming up with Jimmy Schnucker, who we'll talk about here on this uh, memorable show and what part he played in this matchup. And, of course, we've talked about Jimmy Schnucker over the last several months here on all of our shows, who is not doing very well. As of late last we heard, he is still in very, very bad health. We understand our thoughts and prayers with the Snuka family this holiday season, let's just say. Uh, but the last we heard, uh, he is uh, near uh, the uh, old doorway, let's just say, that could be uh, seeing his uh, final farewell. And that's unfortunate. But our thoughts and prayers are with Snuka and his family, as we said this time. But Steamboat around this time, of course, teamed up. With, at times, however, uh, with Jimmy Schnuckman, they called himself the South Pacific Connection. They were quite a duo, I remember, because I remember a couple times they had some matches with uh, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, and, of course, also 
uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine and uh, his partner, who uh, we'll talk about later on here in just a little bit, as well as adorable Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. So uh, you talk about some very interesting guys here, however. I mean, there were some pretty good guys at this time. Of course, there were some other guys who did not quite make it onto this very first WrestleMania, including The Rock's father, Rocky Johnson. Originally, he was supposed to be on the show uh, taking on, I believe, Matt Bourne, but at the last minute, I think they called an audible on that, or I think they decided not to go with him on this show, and of course, he would leave the program and the WWE itself, however, shortly after this show took place uh, here in the Garden. Uh, your thoughts about Steamboat and Matt Bourne? That was pretty good. Yes. Yes, and like we said, Bourne was a pretty good wrestler in back his day, too. I mean, he had a lot of interesting uh, gimmicks, of course. Uh, better known as Big Josh in WCW. Of course, as you mentioned, Doink the Clown, he would later go on to become a big name there. Of course, sadly, we lost him a few years ago due to a heart attack at the age of 52, of course. And it's a shame because I thought he was a pretty good wrestler back in the day, especially in world class and in Portland wrestling. Uh, he uh, teamed up with his father a couple times. He also had some battles, I remember, in Portland with... Uh, Guys like Billy Jack Haynes, uh, Roddy Piper, uh, among others. So uh, he was a pretty good wrestler, no doubt about it. All right, what's next? David San Martino with Bruno San Martino. I think that was Bruno's son, right? Yes, yes, it was. Yes, I knew both of them. Brutus Beefcake with Johnny Valiant, and in a double disqualification single match, 11 minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, this one was an interesting matchup. You talk about two guys in the opposite directions. I mean, Brutus Beefcake, of course, had come by way uh, from down south, working in Memphis, I think. He also worked some territories in the Georgia and Florida area as well, however. And, of course, he would later be on, uh, go on to become known as the Barber. Brutus Beefcake, as well as the Disciple. Of course, he was managed by luscious Johnny Valiant, of course, who nowadays is doing comedy acts, however, at some comedy shows throughout the East Coast, we understand. But back then, Johnny B., I've talked about this guy many times, was a good friend of my father's back in the day, of course. Johnny Valiant, of course, also had two other wrestlers uh, that were uh, called the Valiant Brothers, Jerry and uh, luscious Jimmy Valiant, the boogie boogie man from uh, New York City, if you will. Uh, the late 70s and early 80s, of course, uh, was always famous for one thing. He always had that cigar in his mouth and sunglasses on his face. I mean, those were the things that you knew Johnny Valiant for still. And um, talking about Johnny V, also, of course, uh, he would also manage, as we said, Brutus Beefcake along with Greg the Hammer Valentine later on in 1985 to the tag team stretch, which we'll talk about here later on in just a little bit. Of course, uh, David San Martino and Bruno, of course, both from Pittsburgh, my hometown, too. Very uh, unique guys, let's just say. Bruno, of course, the former world's champion for many years. Of course, he held the title for eight-plus years before dropping the title in Koloff in February of 71. He then regained it in 1973, and then, of course, he would hold on to it until 1977. Of course, at one point, he was paralyzed, of course, uh, in a freak accident by Stan Hansen in a matchup in the same building in 1976, if you will. In 1980, of course, he had some bouts with uh, his protege who wanted to be just like him, the living legend Larry Sabisco, if you will. And as a result, these guys would have some battles as well. Of course, one of those battles culminated in a matchup in a steel cage in August of 1980, which Dave Meltzer, the wrestling observer, later said that that was the match of the year of 1980. And if you ask me, I kind of agree to that, but I kind of also disagree to that. I think there was a couple of better matches in 1980 that could have been up there, including uh, Hulk Hogan and Bob Backlund from April of 1980, the Spectrum. I thought those two had a really good match compared to Sabisco and uh, Bruno. Of course, uh, David in 1995, of course, would uh, be a pretty good wrestler around this time. I mean, he was starting to come into his own. Of course, he had worked also down in Georgia Championship Wrestling, of course, as 
David San Martino Jr., or Bruno Jr., if you will. Of course, uh, he would also later on in 1985 uh, be involved in probably one of the most uh, ridiculous farces known to society when some people said he uh, did not tap out to a jobber by the name of Ron Shaw at a house show in Philadelphia, but instead he was trying to get out of the maneuver, which is a bear hug. And as a result, the referee called for the bell, and as a result, they said that Sam Martino said, I give, I give. I don't know if you ever saw that, Gerard, or not, but uh, if you get a chance to watch it, it doesn't look like he says he gives whatsoever, but uh, at the same time, the referee said that he yelled, I quit, I quit. But uh, I just watched it recently, and I'll tell you what, if you go back and watch it, that is probably one of the biggest screw jobs you'll ever see, ever. And it just it's a shame, because uh, after this, of course, uh, Bruno, of course, along with his son, would not be speaking to one another. Of course, Bruno would go on his way to become a commentator for the WWE, and later on a Hall of Famer, even though it took a long time for him to go in the Hall of Fame after having years of... Well, let's just say fent up resentment towards Vince McMahon and the company itself as he uh, really uh, kind of did not uh, leave the WWE on so much good terms. However, after being forced out as an announcer in the late 80s, of course, David would then go on to try his luck uh, elsewhere in some other federations. And for a while, it looked like he was trying to get his career back on track. But then, of course, uh, he fell victim to his own success. If you on the last we heard, how him and his father are still not talking to another to this very day, which is unfortunate. I believe, and that's unfortunate. But uh, that being said, uh, I thought this was one of the bigger disappointments of the night, if you ask me, especially the way that, I mean, if they wanted to make this a father-son thing, uh, David and Bruno teaming up against Beefcake and his protege, Johnny Vant, they should have done this rather than San Martino versus Beefcake. Because this one ended up really bad and was kind of a hokey ending. Uh, your thoughts about this matchup? Yeah, I didn't think it was very good. Certainly, certainly. One seven two four 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 seventy four forty four call ID number one three nine nine two six and you can listen to us right now, uh, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about the great WrestleMania, of course, that Gerard T. Smith has chosen in tonight, ladies and gentlemen, here on uh, our final show of two thousand and sixteen, ladies and gentlemen, here on WCW Wrestling Revisited. And as we continue on, ladies and gentlemen, as we said, uh, like I said, however, uh, we have uh, a lot more to talk about coming up at. Uh, later this week, of course, on Thursday night, of course, uh, like I said, however, we will definitely be talking more about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we will be talking about, um, more about our fair share here, ladies and gentlemen, coming up, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, what was I say? Oh yeah, we'll be talking about Wolfpack, sorry about that, uh, coming up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this week, however, on uh, Thursday night, ladies and gentlemen, on our final Wolfpack show. The, sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we will be talking about that on Thursday night, beginning at 9 p.m. The caller ID is 138521-POUND. You can check us out this Thursday night with Wolfpack Radio, our final show of the year. And then, of course, uh, as we mentioned, uh, tomorrow night, ladies and gentlemen, will be our final debate of the year. Uh, who knows what we'll be discussing as we'll be looking ahead to 2017, but you can check us out beginning at 8 p.m. The caller ID is 139925-POUND. And then, of course, uh, not this Monday, folks, but the following Monday, Monday, January 9th, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Raw Radio will be returned to the airwaves, however, beginning at 3 p.m. The caller ID is 138744-POUND. Of course, this uh, Monday show, of course, will be preempted, however, due to the New Year's holiday, of course, but we will be back on the air in two weeks, and that will begin at 3 p.m. I will be right back, Gerard, so hang on a sec.
Okay, I'm back. Okay, with that said, now we're going to resume now back into our uh, WrestleMania talk. And as I said, ladies and gentlemen, Raw Radio will be returning to the airwaves two weeks on this Monday. Of course, it was preempted yesterday due to the Christmas holiday, and it will be preempted again this coming Monday to the New Year's holiday. But we'll be back on the air with our very first show of 2017. Boy, we got a great show lineup for you coming up in two weeks, Howard. And, of course, you'd want to check us out on Monday, January 9th, beginning at 3 p.m. The caller ID is 138744-POUND. As we will start the new year off with a bang, and the countdown to the Royal Rumble begins that very day as well. So be sure to check us out two weeks from this coming Monday as we return to the air. Okay, with that said, now let's go to our next match. What do we got next? Hello? Edwards trying to find the next match. You find it? Gerard, are you there, sir? Hello? Already there, sir. And while Gerard's doing that, ladies and gentlemen, of course, uh, let's also tell you, ladies and gentlemen, as we mentioned, of course, uh, coming up uh, tomorrow night, of course, we will be back with Revolution again. How our, our review, the final SmackDown of the year, the caller ID is 138055 pound as well. And be sure to check us out, of course, tonight's SmackDown will be, once again, uh, a pretty good show, I'm sure. Of course, they will be live in Chicago, Illinois tonight. Back. Oh, okay. All right, I didn't know if you stepped out from it. I am too. Okay, uh, we were ready for our next match. What do you got for us? Junkyard Dog defeated Greg the Hammer Valentine with Jimmy Hart by countout singles match for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. Six minutes and 50 seconds. Yes, and you saw JYD, another guy who, of course, was a very unique individual. Of course, he had two themes over the year. One of them was known as Grab Them Cakes, and also another one, Bites the Dust by Queen and Freddie Mercury. Uh, Greg Valentine, we talked about him, of course, a great tag team wrestler, of course, in the 80s. He, of course, also was a great singles uh, competitor. Of course, one of the better matches he had was two years prior to this in a dog collar matchup with Hot Rod, Roddy Piper, one of the most bloodiest matches there was in history. Uh, Certainly, Jimmy Hart, of course, making... uh, 
Uh, short work here, of course, having a pretty good night, Howard. A pretty easy night, if you will, Howard, for the first WrestleMania by having two of his guys uh, join his group. Of course, these two guys will go on to bigger and better things, as we said, being managed by two other people, Bobby Heenan and Johnny Valiant. But on this night, uh, this was a very interesting matchup because if you remember, Tito Santana came out however, and told the referee what happened, however, uh, due to Valentine putting his feet on the ropes. And, of course, he then uh, started uh, griping at the referee and telling uh, the referee, Dick Worley, I believe his name was, uh, that uh, that Valentine did not win the match fairly, however. And as a result, he told Valentine that the match was going to continue. Of course, Valentine did not appreciate this. As a result, he walked out of the matchup. And as a result, JYD won the matchup on a reversal but did not win the title here. However, a few months later, Valentine would drop the title to Tito Santana, as we mentioned uh, in their uh, final culmination of their feud, if you will, in a very bloody steel cage matchup there in Baltimore, Maryland, at the Baltimore Arena. Uh, your thoughts about this matchup and the reversal that came to follow in this encounter? It was a very good matchup. Yes, certainly. Certainly. And from there, what do we got next? Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik with Freddie Blassie, defeated the U.S. Express, Michael Tundo, and Barry Windham with Lou Obano, hmm. the tag team for the WBF Tag Team Championships, six minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, and you talk about the U.S. Express. They had won the title a few months before, I remember, I believe, at a house show. I think it was in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, I think it was, or maybe it was in... Uh, DC, but I'm pretty sure it was at the Spectrum. Yeah, it was in the Spectrum, I remember now. Uh, Horrible Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch, of course, did not uh, have the titles with them after this night. Of course, Wyndham and uh, Rotunda would. They would later go on to interesting things. Of course, they would uh, do their own thing. Wyndham, of course, later on in the 80s would become a member of the Four Horsemen stable. Rotunda, of course, would be better known to you all later on as IRS, Erwin R. Seister, of course. He would also be a member of the Varsity Club with Kevin Sullivan and Rick Steiner. Uh, of course, they were also uh, related, let's just say, in family. Let's just say, of course, we know Mike Rotunda's uh, son, of course, uh, Bo Dallas, and his other son, Bray Wyatt, are now WWE competitors. Uh, Wyndham, I know, his brother Kendall Wyndham for a brief time was a wrestler, however. And uh, I believe Barry has a niece that is wrestling, and that's uh, IRS's niece as well. So there you go. Uh, Captain Lou, of course, better known to you all uh, from uh, the Super Mario Brothers show. Of course, he was also a pretty great heel manager back in his day in the late 70s and 80s, early 80s, uh, managing guys like Valentine and Don Morocco and all those guys. However, of course, Ken Patera was another one in his stable. Uh, the Iron Sheik, of course, Nikolai Volkov, the Russian-Iranian duo led by classy Freddie Blassie, better known to you all, you pencil-neck geeks with the man with the cane. Of course, uh, he was also Hulk Hogan's first manager, believe it or not, when Hogan first broke into the business back in the late 70s, if you will, 1979. Uh, to me, I thought this was one of the better matches of the night, of course. Uh, of course, Nikolai stood six foot nine, three fifteen. The Sheik, of course, uh, former champion that he was, world champion, that is, now going after the tag team gold. Of course, this would be one of the very... Uh, one of the three times we would see these two uh, team up with each other here in WrestleMania history. Of course, the following year they would be uh, in separate matches on their own, and then of course in WrestleMania 30, uh, they're in New, uh, excuse me, not I almost said New York. I'm going to say Detroit Rock City. Uh, they're in Pontiac, Michigan, at the legendary Silverdome, which is no longer around. They would team up together one final time. However, 
at the time, they were not led by Blassie, unfortunately, however, but they uh, were led to the ring anyway. And as a result, they took on the Killer Bees, Jumping Jim Brunzel and D. Brian Blair, if you will. Uh, these guys were a pretty good team, I remember. As much as some people hated them, and a lot of people did not like them, especially when Nikolai was singing all the time, and the Sheik was always downgrading America by waving the Iranian flag, of course, considering the dislike America had for both Russia and Iran at this time. Uh, this was one of the more entertaining matches of the night. Of course, if you remember before the match, of course, Blasi said in the promo, I've got the next tag team champions right here. Well, he had them. And I think one of the better promos of that whole exchange was what happened when uh, Gene was talking to... Um, Barry Windham, Mike Rotundo in the locker room, and uh, Barry says, uh, Mike says, we're trying, we're going to try real hard, and like, we're going to try real hard for you today, we're going to go out there and perform our best, and uh, Gene said, you know, Barry says to Gene, Gene, Gene's the, t- Gene, the talking's over, we're going out to the ring right now and doing our thing. So, this was pretty good with all the competitors involved, and like I said, I just, thought the finish could have been a little bit better, especially with the cane shot. But nevertheless, these two would continue to feud in the coming months. Of course, uh, Wyndham and Rotunda would get the belts back a few months later. And then they would go on to feud with uh, Valentine and Beefcake, which then they lost the titles again later on that summer. Uh, thanks to Johnny Valiant blinding the eye, bearing Wyndham with a cigar right in the eye, uh, no less. And as a result, costing them the tag team titles. Of course, Wyndham and Rotunda then would try to go after the belts one final time before the year was out. Unfortunately, their teamwork and uh, chance of getting the gold once again would not work. As a result, uh, Wyndham would leave the company, however, while Rotundo would stay uh, for another year or so, year and a half, and then uh, go on his own way and head off uh, to the WCW, a.k.a. the National Wrestling Alliance, if you will. Uh, your thoughts about this matchup? Very interesting. Yes, yes. And like we said, uh, these four competitors were definitely hard workers, no doubt about it. And like I said, uh, Wyndham was about 240, 6'6". Six six. Uh, Mike was about 6'2", 235, I remember. And uh, they were quick. They they had a lot of uh, uh, very unique ability to uh, catch you off guard at times. And they uh, really put the boots to when they had to. And like I said, they had some great battles with these guys. Like I said, Sheik and Volkov, along with Adonis and Murdoch, and other teams as well. And they would show that. In the, within the next six months to a year following this event, however. But uh, sad to say they would uh, not be a team much longer heading into 1986. Okay, uh, with that said, let's go to our next match. Andre the Giant defeated Big John Studd with Bobby Heenan in a, Bobby slam, a body slam challenge for $15,000, five minutes and 50 seconds. Yes, and this was an interesting matchup, too, if you recall. I mean, Big John Studd, of course, coming from uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is about two hours away from where I live at the time, grew up there, uh, staying six foot nine, three sixty-five, managed by Bobby the Brain Heen and Andre the Giant, of course, not yet coming into his own as truly a bad guy. He was definitely a fan favorite by many, and still to this day is considered the one true giant, I think, out of all the giants over the years, how that has stood the test of time. Uh, going into that event, of course, he stood seven foot four. 465. I mean, he was a real loved guy, both inside and outside. And of course, he would go on to star in movies like The Princess Bride and also do a lot of outside projects like charity work. He sort of feels like the John Cena of his time. He's like a gentle giant and a heartwarming guy, both in and out of the ring. However, and fans just adored him. Of course, he had so many great bout matches over the years. Of course, you just couldn't pick one that was, his, that was a favorite of mine. I would say uh, the matchup that he had with Hogan, obviously, two years after this, which we'll talk about later on in a future show. I think it was one of my favorites. 
Excuse me. Uh, but Andre, um, at this time, had uh, been brutalized by Bobby Heenan, Big John Studd, and of course Big John Studd's new friend Ken Patera, who had uh, shown back up in the WWE around this time, how brutalizing Andre and trying to cut his hair, if you will. As a result, Andre took action upon himself to put his own career on the line, and even though he had been in the business for only 10 years at this time, uh, some people felt like he was uh, slowing down while he was kind of starting to do that. However, he still uh, felt that he had some unfinished business to deal with first before he decided to get out. And on this day, he decided to put his own career in line, which was, I think, a ballsy move on his part. As a result, Andre the Giant uh, then told Bobby the Brain Heenan if uh, Big John Stubb wanted a piece, and then he would have to put up some money. And as a result, this turned out to be the 15 grand slam match, as you said. Uh, as a result, Big John Stud then got body slammed by Andre, and uh, just when it looked like Andre was going to win the money, however, here comes Bobby the Brain Heenan out of nowhere to scarf out the money, however, and basically take apart uh, Bobby the Brain, almost get his hands on the weasel, if you will. As a result, however, he got only a nip of him, mind you, and Big John Stud, but nevertheless, however, he became the sole winner, but did not collect the money, however, needless to say. Uh, your thoughts about this matchup? It was a good match. Yes, it was. And like I said, I mean, it was a picture I just saw recently of him. I don't know if you saw it, Jordan. I don't know if anyone else saw it. Uh, it was a picture of him after that event that day with uh, a very young Stephanie McMahon. And uh, Stephanie's uh, calling up to Andre with her arms wrapped around him because uh, she considered Andre one of her uh, boyfriends, if you will, her early one of her early boyfriends, if you will. Because, I mean, like I said, I mean, Andre was a great guy. I mean, he made a lot of friends both inside and outside of the ring. He also had a lot of crazy uh, things that uh, even today you wouldn't want to believe. I mean, case in point, I mean, he drank so much beer, however, at times, however, and ate so much, however. I mean, he had an appetite, but he also had a big heart, however. And unfortunately, that one thing, the heart, however, that he had, however, sadly and tragically, uh, was the one thing that tragically uh, he lost in his life later on down the road. Of course, we lost him way too soon, sadly, due to a heart attack after his father apparently had a heart attack uh, a few weeks prior to that, however, back in the 90s, however. But uh, to this day, it was just his attitude, his smile, his laugh, and just the way he was around everyone. I mean, some people said he was a gentle guy outside of the ring. Some people say he was a pretty good guy inside the ring. But also some people had other things to say about him, that he was not all that inside or outside of the ring. But, hey, each to their own. You're entitled to your own opinion. But to me, I think Andre will still live on as one of the true great giants, both inside and outside. I mean, the way he was, because, I mean, he could do so much, however, that you would just not believe. Like we said, I mean, the best case in point, he, what was it, a six-pack of beer, I think, at one time he had, however, after a match one night. And then the next day, he uh, was on a plane, however. I think he was going from, I think it was from Pittsburgh to Los Angeles. It was maybe... New York to L.A., I can't remember. And the whole time he's on the plane, however, uh, he is just trying to sleep. He's trying to fall asleep or at least try to get some shut-eye, however. And the whole time that's going on, the plane's just dipping back and forth, back and forth. And people were just fearful for their lives. And they didn't know if it was going to stay in the air or it was going to go down. But uh, no matter what, like I said, he was just a gentle guy. And I think probably the funniest story, and I want to wrap this up real quick, was one of the funnier stories of Andre I can ever recall. I think it was the day after he did a house show, I think in your neck of the woods, or I think it was after a show one night up in Toronto, it was, up at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. He was uh, teaming up with, I think at the time, I want to say Hulk Hogan and JYD. Yeah, it was Hulk Hogan and JYD. And they were taking on Bundy, Stud, and I want to say Patera. Yeah, it was Patera. 
and they were going back to the hotel. I remember. I forget what hotel it was at the time in Toronto. Anyway, he gets into the building, mind you, and Andre's had a long night, and Andre figures, okay, I'm going to go to the bar. Well, some of the guys are going to go to the bar, and Andre goes with him. Well, Andre ends up drinking like a fish this, on this night, folks. The next morning, however, he's passed out in the lobby chair, however, and they're trying to rise him up, however, and get him up. He's just snoring and snoring and snoring. All of a sudden, however, I guess uh, one of the guys, however, who uh, didn't decide to go to the bar with any of the other guys, however, the night before, however, comes down to see Andre in the chair. So he says to the manager, well, how long has he been there? And the manager tells him he's been sleeping there all night. So he's trying to rub and tap Andre and wake him up, and Andre's not stop budging. So finally, I guess uh, one, I guess Hogan came down from uh, his room, and he saw the guy uh, trying to nudge Andre, and he's telling the guy, I forget who the wrestler was, he's telling him, he's like, don't wake him, don't wake up, boss, he'll get mad at you if he doesn't. And he's like, he's like, hell with this, I'm going to do it anyway. So he keeps nudging and nudging him. Finally, Andre wakes up, and I, uh, Hogan says, well, good morning, boss. And Andre's just not even, I mean, he's he has bad breath, and he's just not fully awake, and he just, you could tell he, he smells like a like a beer factory at this point. And uh, the guy says to um, him, he says to him, how'd you sleep there, uh, Andre? Andre's like, and I guess he told me something crazy, and then Hogan's like, he's like, what are we going to do today, boss? He's like, I don't know about, and I think he said, Hogan, in his broken English, he's like, I don't know about you, but I need a screwdriver. And the guy goes, screwdriver? He's like, yeah, screwdriver. And then I guess Hogan saw one of the uh, waitresses or one of the staff members and says, get this man a screwdriver right away. So the guy comes back holding a screwdriver, and he doesn't know it's a drink, and he thinks it's, he's thinking he's calling for the tool. So the, bar, the, owner, the owner of the hotel holds up a screwdriver, and Andre starts laughing at the guy, and the guy's like, what's so funny? And Andre's like, no, 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 no. I meant drink, screwdriver. Get me one. So he was a fun-loving guy, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. He, he is still very much missed to this day. And like I say, he's one of the most gentlest guys you ever want to meet, both inside and outside the ring. Okay. With that said, let's go to our next one. I'm here. I know you're here. We're going on to our next uh, match. Wendy Richter with uh, Cindy Lauper defeated Lana Kai with the Fabulous Moolah singles match for the WWE Women's Championship. Six minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah, you talk about, again, history with four individuals. I mean, Wendy Richter, of course, better known to you all, of course, now in the Hall of Fame. Of course, she was managed at the time by the great Cindy Lauper, of course, who uh, throughout the ace came out with some hits like Mbop, or she bop, excuse me, and uh, Goonie's Good Enough for Me, of course, also managed by her super manager, the very handsome, the very suave, and one of the most unique uh, rock performers of his generation. I think he's still doing a lot of music to this day, unless he finally got out of the music industry a long time ago, Mr. David Wolf. Of course, Cindy and uh, David Wolf, of course, would have history, of course, uh, a couple months prior to this with Roddy Piper, if you remember the whole break of the. Uh, Record incident with Captain Lou, of course, in late 1984. I believe it was in late December. Yeah, it was late December 84 that year at the Garden, a few months prior to this. Uh, of course, Wendy Richter, you know, 
the month prior to this, that the war to settle the score had been screwed over by Mula and, of course, Lalane Kai. Of course, Lalane Kai had taken her title away from her. Uh, Wendy Richter was also a pretty good women's champion for a brief time. Of course, she would also be the victim of unfortunate screws off herself again later on in 1985, as we mentioned. Of course, in that same building, I believe, that David San Martino lost to uh, in 1985 at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. But on this night, uh, let's just say uh, Mula and Lalane Kai thought they could put the screws in to uh, Wendy Richter and, of course, uh, Cindy Lauper. Of course, Cindy Lauper called uh, Mula Shmula, if you remember. She came to the ring wearing a hat. And, of course, uh, she and them came out to the uh, ever-popular hit Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And the place was rocking, I remember. I mean, they were big fans of David Wolf and uh, Cindy and Wendy. I was a big fan of all three of them at the time. Mula, of course, was a great women's champion over the years and is considered still probably one of the greatest women's champions of all time, period. Lilani Kai, of course, she wasn't a bad wrestler in her own day. I remember, of course, uh, she also teamed up with Wendy Richter for a brief time and then later feuded with her. Uh, and, of course, this culminated here in the matchup at WrestleMania with Wendy Richter regaining the title from uh, Lilani Kai. Of course, this would be the last time Richter would ever uh, go after the women's title on this day. Uh, that being said, your thoughts about this matchup? Yeah, it was a great matchup. And you know what's so funny? I mean, if you go back and watch that even now to this day, and this is going to blow your mind. I don't know if you knew this or not. They started this event actually at 1 o'clock that afternoon, believe it or not. It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon when they began the show. And when it was all over, it was around 4 o'clock or so. So talk about having an early afternoon and a late afternoon show. Back then, however, I mean, a lot of those shows, of course, in Madison Square Garden and the Spectrum, especially Madison Square Garden on Monday nights, I remember, Long before there was Monday Night Raw, Monday Night Nitro, all these primetime shows, Howard, they would have shows in the garden, like I said, monthly, Howard. And they would always do shows like either 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, sometimes 8.30, and they would go on until 11, 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. I mean, I miss those events. And I know last night, like I mentioned, folks, uh, they did a show in MSG, however. I mean, they haven't done TV there in a long time, Howard. But back then, however, when they did the first WrestleMania, however, uh, it actually began at 1 o'clock in the afternoon that day. And it was so funny, it began that day, however, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Because the day before that, I remember, however, and I'll talk about this coming up here in just a few minutes, there are a couple things that happened that were very unique, of course. The day before this, they had Saturday Night Live in New York City, of course. And that night, of course, uh, on Saturday Night Live, they had the two uh, guys that will be coming up in our feature bout here that uh, were the guest hosts of that show. And also that morning of uh, WrestleMania, they had also the same two guys on CBS this morning with Charles Carroll being interviewed live from the Garners. I remember they did an old the old CBS This Morning show, however, and they still do it to this day on CBS, obviously. But back then, they had uh, both these two gentlemen, however, on the show that morning live from Madison Square Garden. They did their remote feed live from MSG. And also, folks, if that's not all, they actually did, believe it or not, <clears throat> excuse me, um, believe it or not, however, the NCAA Final Four that Saturday. That was the first time they did the NCAA Basketball Final Four tournament on a Saturday. Because that day, uh, it was down in Lexington, Kentucky. They had uh, Villanova taking on Memphis State in one semifinal. And then in the other final, it was St. John's taking on... Um, I can't remember who, and uh, you talk about some great basketball teams back then in the 80s, of course, especially uh, around the scene then. I mean, you had Villanova, like I mentioned, uh, Raleigh Massimino and his uh, gang of uh, Ed Pickney, uh, Gary McClain, 
And, of course, you had Georgetown and Patrick Ewing and John Thompson. Uh, St. John's had Chris Mullen and their legendary coach, Lou. I wanna, I'm going to totally fudge the name up, but I want to try my best in pronouncing it right. Shinsera, one of the most underrated coaches in basketball history. And then, like I said, you had uh, Memphis State. So you had Villanova, Memphis State, and then you had Georgetown and St. John's, a good old Big East battle. You had three of the four best teams on the East Coast playing at each other there that uh, weekend in Lexington, Kentucky, the old Rupp Arena on the campus of the University of Kentucky. And, of course, the next night, which was April Fool's Day, however, and this was no joke, folks, uh, you had Villanova and Georgetown meet at it for the final four for the title. And it was on that night that Ed Pickney and his boys beat Patrick Ewing, denying them a chance to go back-to-back and win the title. And as a result, Rolly Massimino and company pulled off the April Fool's magic, if you will, that night, 66-64, and one of the greatest NCAA Final Fours ever in history there in Kentucky. And that actually was Patrick Ewing's final game because Patrick Ewing that year came back, I remember, that fall. And I remember watching the video to this recently, how I said that he wanted to go back-to-back and become the first person since Bill Walton did back in the 70s with UCLA to repeat as a national champion. And I'll tell you what, during his career at Georgetown from 1981 to 1985, he was in uh, three Final Fours, believe it or not. He only won one, but he won, was in three Final Fours. He came up short in the first one against Michael Jordan by one North Carolina in 1982. 1984, they dominated against the University of Houston and Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon in Seattle, 84-75. As that was the time when they had five slam with JAMA. And then, of course, 1985, folks, the following year, his last year, of course, he was his heartbreaker to Georgetown, excuse me, to Villanova, 66-64, after dominating them twice earlier that year. So, go figure. All right, with that said now, ladies and gentlemen, we're now going to go into our feature bout in our last match, however, for 2016 here on Revisited. Yeah, revisit it, so I meant to say something else, but we'll tell you what it is right now as Gerard will fill you in. Hawk Hogan with and Mr. T with Jimmy Snooker defeated Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff with Bob Orton tag team match with Muhammad Ali, Pat Patterson, and especially at first read, 13 minutes and 22 seconds. Yes, and there were a lot of names on this night. Of course, uh, as we mentioned again, Billy Martin was the guest ring announcer, Liberace, the guest timekeeper. Of course, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T, we, the guys we were mentioning on Saturday Night Live and, of course, uh, CBS Sunday morning. They also had made some news prior to that, if you remember, I believe the week before, how there was a report going around that they appeared on the Richard Belzer show, if you remember that back in the day, folks. And there was a report that apparently Hogan and Mr. T were making an appearance on the show, of course, uh, to hype up the matchup. And by accident, I guess Hulk Hogan had done a move to Belzer, however, causing Belzer to lose consciousness and actually split his head open while doing a wrestling move. Of course, Belzer later would go on to sue the WWE and Vince McMahon and win some money out of that. Of course, Mr. T and Roddy Piper had had a little bit of an issue prior to this, of course, along with Hogan, of course, uh, earlier in the uh, winter of 1984. But, of course, Mr. T would make an impact, of course, on this uh, card, of course, a few months after the 1984 year, however. In early 1985, at the war to settle the score, of course, that was the matchup on Hogan and uh, Piper first confronted one another for the first time, of course, after what had happened a few months before in 1984 with the whole uh, David Wolf, Cindy Lauper incident along with Captain Lou. As a result, Mr. T jumped the crowd, of course, and uh, started uh, beating out Piper and uh, his uh, ace, if you will, the uh, 
great cowboy Bob Orton. Of course, Jimmy Snook, of course, was in the corner of the good guys, Hogan and T. And, of course, as we mentioned, uh, Ace was in the corner of Mr. Wonderful and the late great hot Scott, Roddy Piper, who sadly we tragically lost a few years ago. Um, as a result, uh, some other big-name celebrities that were at that war to settle the score show back in February prior to WrestleMania included guys like Joe Piscopo, Danny DeVito, Andy Warhol, uh, among others. And as we said, in 1985, there were a lot of other big names that showed up there at the very first WrestleMania watching this memorable show, uh, including uh, Jose Torres, a former boxing great. Uh, like I said, Muhammad Ali, another guy who we lost tragically earlier this year, of course, the greatest of them all. Uh, legendary figure in his own right, Pat Patterson, of course, a very special guest referee here along with Muhammad Ali here on this show that uh, was looking to control the action from all four of these guys. Uh, but yeah, this was one of the better uh, events, main events in WrestleMania history. And like I said, as uh, Real Monsoon said a lot of times during this show, how our history being made, how our here in Madison Square, and well, history was definitely made here on this memorable day in MSG. And to me, it's still one of my favorite WrestleManias to go back and watch again and again. I have it on DVD personally, and I just never get tired of watching it. And uh, I think it was one of the better events, however. And uh, what's so funny about this, too, however, it actually, the name WrestleMania came by accident in the form when Howard Finkel, I guess, along with me and Gene, met with Vince and a couple other people at his uh, Greenwich home, however, and they were trying to figure out what to call their big event, however, of course, uh, and as a result, how well, the Beatles had Beatlemania, why don't we call our event WrestleMania? So there you go, folks. WrestleMania is how they got their name, uh, let's just say, in the form of that. Uh, but all told, uh, one of the greatest events in history. It'll still go down as one of the best, if not one of the top ten of all time. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would have to give this almost a 9 out of 10. I thought this was one of the better events in history. Uh, there are a couple things I thought that could have been better. That San Martino Fair, again, could have been a little bit better, if you ask me. But overall, I still think it came out to uh, be a pretty solid show from top to bottom. So those are my uh, thoughts about the show overall. Uh, Gerard, on your uh, scale of a 1 to 10, what would you give this very first WrestleMania? Uh, 9. Yes. And like I said, folks, it definitely uh, stood the test of time and is still standing the test of time this very day because if there had been no WrestleMania, I don't know what they would have done to compat with uh, Jim Crockett and Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. Of course, they were doing their own event with Starcade. Of course, WWE was looking to try to combat that with uh, their own version of uh, their big event. Of course, that would be WrestleMania. Of course, WCCW would do their own event, uh, of course, as well, called Star Wars. But... Back then, of course, you had a lot to choose from, folks, so uh, definitely uh, very exciting, to say the least. Now, uh, before we go, ladies and gentlemen, here on this show tonight, as I said earlier at the start of the show, I do want to thank all of you people for listening in this year. It has been a great year hosting Wrestling Revisited, and if it wasn't for my man, Gerard T. Smith, along with the rest of you people out there, including the Black Widow, Michelle Lynn Dodds, Mr. W. Chad Hinshaw, Kendrick the Lowdown Smith, John Grossi, and Suplex Machine, as well as the last kicker, Amory Reckenbach, and others. However, we wouldn't be hosting this show. So to that, I want to thank you all for listening in what has been a fantastic 2016. And 2017 promising is going to promise to get better and better as we continue to host the best damn Tuesday night uh, pre-show warm-up prior to SmackDown and also Revolution here, this side of the pike here on TalkShoe.com. So to that, I want to thank all of you and Gerard as well, however, however, for uh, listening to us each and every Tuesday night. It has been a great time, however, hosting this show, and we hope to make, 
your Tuesday nights more and more exciting each and every week by giving you a chance to go back into our time machine, however, and giving you some of the best moments both inside and outside of the ring as well as uh, some of the best uh, wrestling, uh, let's just say, uh, matches that have happened. How when there hasn't been events, we can talk about matches or certain managers or certain, uh, like I said, TV shows. And if it wasn't for those, however, however, we would not have a show like this. So for that, I say thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to us each and every week. It has been very fun to satisfy you all. Now, next week, folks, however, we will be starting off the new year with a big bang, if you will, however, in more ways than one. Let me just say, how Gerard picked a great one for WrestleMania 1. Let's just say I might have a good one coming up next week to start the new year. I'm not going to tell you what it is just yet, folks. But let's just say I want to let you all be surprised when we resume uh, taking to the air next Tuesday night. Now, before we go, however, I also um, want to ask Gerard quickly how are his thoughts about last night's Raw. Of course, we'll talk more about it. But if you could uh, give us a quick summary, Gerard, what were your thoughts about last night's Raw in Chicago? Uh, it was all right. Uh, I guess the club... Uh, Pissed off some people. Yes. And Open up the the bear. Uh, Cody went on Twitter and said, "Yes, if whoever wrote this crap, um, if you were in my shoes, or if you it happened to you or whatever, it wouldn't be very nice." So mm-hmm. I don't know who uh, <coughs> who uh, wrote that, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was a little out of bounds too. I I mean we'll definitely talk more about that. There was a lot of other things that came off last night, not just that, but there are a few other things I thought that they could have done a little bit better with last night if you ask me, and we'll definitely be sharing our thoughts about that here in just a little bit here on uh Wrestling Revolution. Of course, uh don't forget ladies and gentlemen, they'll be getting underway at nine o'clock tonight, ladies and gentlemen. The caller ID is one three eight oh five five pound and of course the number is the same. Uh, before, uh, that being said, I'm going to ask Gerard one final thing. Gerard, do you have anything else to add, my man? No, I don't. Well, okay then. And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you out, however, how fitting it is, how we were talking about WrestleMania, how to the theme song from WrestleMania 1. And we want to thank, uh, Philip Bailey and Phil Collins for singing this song. This was one of the bigger hits of the 1980s entitled Easy Lover. So, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you enjoy it. We'll be back in the ring, of course, next week, same time, same place, but we'll also be back here in just a little while with Revolution, of course. We thank you again for listening to us this year. We hope you all have a safe and wonderful Christmas holiday as well as a very blessed New Year. We'll be back in the squared circle at the same time, same place, next Tuesday night at 7 p.m. with our first show of 2017. So, on that note, for the King, Gerard T. Smith, this is the Iceman, Jerry DiGiamo, saying so long from ringside. We will talk to you next week and again later tonight. Have a great New Year and have a great rest of the week, everyone. And we'll catch you on the flip side soon. Good night, everyone.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.